I grew up with uh, in, in church, and I love to hear pass it on, play it again. If you have the scripture with you this morning, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to James, the fifth chapter. James chapter 5. Jessica Dang wrote in her blog, The Minimalist Student, this, Perseverance and persistence is the ability to see things to the end. It is the difference between make or break. Uh, little did she know when she first wrote that, that she would end up going through one of the biggest physical tests of her, phys- uh, of her physical perseverance, a full marathon, where she ended up putting her money where her mouth was. When she first started running, it was because a doctor told her to, to lose weight, and so uh, she dragged herself to one of those fancy clothes hangers that many of you have at home. What do you call them? Uh, treadmills, yeah. And uh, she started to work out on the treadmill and once a week, sometimes once a month. <laughs> Uh, it was really not a big goal in her life, and, and she was never really that good at it. She got out of breath, uh, her chest hurt, she made a hundred excuses, and it took her more than a year to run three miles. And she didn't make much progress weight-wise until she said one summer when the weather was particularly good, I just went out for a run, just a gentle jog in the June breeze, and to my surprise, I enjoyed it. And one day turned to a couple more times that week and a few more the week after that. And within a month, running turned from a chore into a hobby. And and then she said, before you knew it, I'd actually signed up for a half marathon. It enabled me to think more clearly. It enabled me to focus on things that I enjoyed in life. I felt better. And before I knew it, after the half marathon, I thought that was one of the best things I'd ever accomplished in my life. I signed up for a full marathon. And then she writes this, what an idiot. (laughs) Training went fine, she said, until a common cold turned into a chest infection, which turned into a check-in at the ER of the hospital. And it happened right when I was supposed to be running the most miles. I probably made it worse by not stopping and running outside in cold and rainy weather. And the doctor told me to stay in bed. Well, flash forward to the big day. I hadn't had a proper run in weeks, and I had my doubts, but I'd worked so hard for this, I wasn't going to give up. No way. 20 miles later, she said, my feet felt like they were going to explode with every step. My hip had locked up on me, my shins felt brittle enough to snap, and if I had to go up another incline, I didn't think I could make it. Despite all this, somehow, I kept going. I saw a sign that said, run as if zombies were chasing you. (laughs) In other words, keep going and don't stop as an option. I put one foot in front of the other again and again. She said, I did it 10,000 times until I finally saw the finish line. And when it was finally in sight, I sprinted. My foot crossed the line. I did it. I cried. I waddled. I smiled my oxygen-deprived head off. As I read her account of running that marathon and where she started, I realized there's a lot of people in this fellowship that are running some hard marathons, that are engaged in some hard races. And if I could pick one verse out of all of James 5 to kind of center on this morning that that you would walk away with, it would be James chapter 5, verse 11, where it says, As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. What is perseverance? 
Perseverance is a mom who never gets a day off, but still wakes up early every morning to pray for wisdom and strength for her children, herself, and her spouse. Perseverance is the out-of-work accountant who maintains his trust in the Lord when there's no job on the horizon. Perseverance is the patient who's told that his cancer is in remission but now learns it's spreading. Perseverance is the Christian who for 60 years has kept his eye on the real finish line. Perseverance is the child that now cares for a mother in a nursing home. When the race gets tough, and it does, and you're nearing the end and you're tempted to quit, God provides us with the gift. He gives us the strength. He gives us the power. He gives us the ability to finish in a way that not only pleases Him, but it fills our cup to overflowing. And I want to share a few uh, helps to get you across that finish line this morning. Number one, I would say this, as you're running this race, be careful to guard your load limit. Be careful to guard your load limit. In James chapter 5, verse 1, you'll read Paul say, or Paul, excuse me, James writing, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. For your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. He's telling them, watch your load limit. A little child walking through the woods with a backpack, they're not concerned about what they can pick up and put in it. They'll pick up leaves and sticks and pine cones, a rock that looks interesting. But a marathoner doesn't load a backpack down with lots of weight. It's too long of a race. And friends, if you're determined to cross the finish line of faith in this life, don't get too caught up with the stuff that you can put in your backpack, it will do nothing but load you down. Jesus said in John 12, 15, watch out and be on guard against all kinds of greed because life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. And I'm learning as I go through life, for me, sometimes those aren't things that I can pay for with a credit card or purchase on Amazon.com. Sometimes the possessions that load me down are the emotions and the guilt, the hurt, the heartache from days gone by that make that pack heavier than it was ever meant to be. When I talk about not having things in the pack that we can buy, I'm not talking about saving for retirement or making a down payment on a home. I, I think James is talking about those who hoard the emotions, those who hoard the possessions in their life, and they think that all that they can maintain in a calendar or in a checkbook shows the success of their life. But in the end, it only testifies against what real life is. I heard an account just a few weeks ago. It was like two seven-year-old cousins after trick-or-treat. They'd gone separately, and one child had a bag that had over 100 pieces of candy. I mean, so full that they could barely carry it. The other seven-year-old cousin only had about 20 items but refused to share with anybody in the family. And a week passed by, and although the cousin that had 100 pieces, his candy is just about all gone, the other one is, is carefully protecting his 20 little pieces of candy, even though it's rotting away day by day. 
James doesn't mince words with those who hoard. He says, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. And he says, all that this does, he says, it fattens you for the day of slaughter. He's warning those who feel like they have in this world to be careful. Don't forget that our journey upon this earth is short and we need to live this life as preparation for the next. And Jesus says, don't, don't store up things on this earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves can break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven. And he said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For us as believers, generosity in our lives, that, that should be a lifestyle. We should keep a big picture. And, and so I want to invite you just on your outline this morning to fill in the blank that we need to be a people who establish our priorities and think about running a marathon instead of a sprint. Obadiah 1.15 assures us the day of the Lord is near for all the nations. The Lord's return is very close. These are the last days. And it's time for believers in Christ to get serious about finishing the race. And that means we've got to start going through the backpack, taking out the things, the relationships, the goals that truly don't honor God, the things that we don't need weighing us down, because we're in this for the long haul until the Lord comes back. And the more wisdom you can display in your life of stewardship of the days that God has given you, that he's entrusted you with, all the better. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Carefully guard your load limit. And then secondly, stay focused on the finish line. I always thought that what Paul declared in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 24, it should be the standard that every believer adopts in their discipleship. He said this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. You know, God has given us each a task to fulfill and we need to remember that. You know, I, I listened to one man tell a story about running in the Chicago Marathon. And he said one of the most tempting things about running in that marathon was the pickup van. You see, anybody running the marathon in the back that was just too tired to continue or too discouraged to continue, there was a van that followed along in the back and they would slide open the door and say, do you need a ride? And, and if you're ready to quit, jump in the van. And they would drive you ahead to the, to, the, to the finish line where you would just wait for the race to be done. And he said the hardest thing running this race was my body was hurting. My mind had been, it, it reached its limit. I was dehydrated and this van kept passing. And it would go back and pass again. And with every pass, the temptation was just, just stop. Why are you putting yourself through all this? But he said, what kept me going was the thought, you know, the finish line, it's closer than you think. And I kept pressing on through every breath of sharpness, through every ache, until I reached the line. And I think as believers, if we're going to cross that finish line, we need to, to, first, we need to be patient. We need to be patient people. I love what John said in his glimpse of glory in Revelation 1. 
He said, I, John, I'm your brother. I'm your companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance. I like that. Patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about his, his situation. I'm on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I think John recognized that patient endurance and how important it was because honestly, doesn't it feel sometimes like life is just out of control? I mean, we look at our country and, and honestly, you can say politically things, they're out of control. You look in our community and you recognize the management of some things is, is just out of control. And I doubt that John ever thought of himself being exiled to a rock in the Mediterranean. Really a prison colony, a quarry, until the day he could be released. And it called for patience. Patience doesn't come naturally for us. I know because I, I've seen you guys behind the wheel of your car. I, I've seen you at a red light because red lights in this town are one thing. It's an opportunity to check your iPhone, isn't it? It's an opportunity to switch the song on the radio or even driving down the highway as we were coming back yesterday from the Nike Nationals with Liv in Terre Haute, Indiana. It's amazing how many people drive with one hand on the wheel as they're kind of scrolling through their iPhones or, or, or their Android phones or whatever they use. Just they're so busy, they're impatient. Somebody's going to talk to me. Somebody has a message for me. Someone has an offer for me that I just can't refuse. Whenever we're in an elevator, same thing. It's time to, to check our messages. We have a hard time relaxing, and it always seems like we're in a hurry. I like what Max Lucado once wrote. He said, we're the only nation on earth with a mountain called Rushmore, and we live up to its name. That's true. James tells us, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. In other words, one day, as the song so beautifully said, one day, every wrong will be made right. Every ridicule you've heard for the name of Jesus will be remembered and rewarded. The light and momentary afflictions that you've endured in this life, that sometimes you've had to suffer at the hand of the parents or the brothers and sisters that should have loved you the most, all those light and momentary afflictions will turn into character and maturity and joy before your heavenly Father. So we pray for his return, don't we? we? We long for the return of Jesus because for Christians at the sound of a trumpet, everything will be transformed. But don't just be patient. Be positive. Be positive too. When the race gets difficult, it's easy to talk about how your feet hurt. It's easy to complain, especially if you see others that are having a much more blessed life or a much easier run, refuse to grumble because the Almighty One is the one who's judging your race. And He hears everything you mutter under your breath. He hears all the, the verbal barrage that goes on in your mind as grumbling. Some of you remember how your grandparents used to speak about making their own butter, don't you? You know, most of you now, you'll only find out if you go to Cracker Barrel what these things are, right? Butter churns. Or, or they have the old mason jars, the big ones with the crank on the top. They would just churn the cream into butter. You see, as they churn and churn, it becomes solidified. And sometimes for us, 
a little complaining turns into a lot of complaining and the churning over the situations and the things wrong in our life, it solidifies not something pleasant, but something hard within our heart. Then again, there's times that we need to persevere and we recognize in persevering, it's a different kind of churning. Most of you probably heard the old poem, and I, I like this. Two frogs fell into a deep cream bowl. One was an optimistic soul, but the other took a gloomy view. We shall both die, and he flung up his legs and said goodbye. But the other frog with a merry grin said, I can't get out, but I won't give in. I'll just swim around. He said, until my strength is spent, and then I'll die the more content. Well, he swam around till it would seem all of his struggles began to churn the cream. On top the butter at last he stopped, and out the bowl he proudly hopped. What's the moral tis easily found? If you can't hop out, keep swimming around. You've got to remain positive. And as one of my daughter's favorite wise characters, Dory, would say, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Hang in there and, and don't quit. Michael Jordan, I uh, loved watching him play on the Chicago Bulls when we lived in Chicago. You know, he made more than 9,000 shots in his career. He lost almost 300 games, was, was trusted 26 times to take that final game-winning shot, and he missed it. And yet he's still considered to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And he said this, obstacles don't have to stop you. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it, go through it, or go around it. Grumblers bring people down so quickly. In fact, one of the things you don't want to see are the, poll, uh, report, or the pew polls and reports uh, of polls that are done among churches. Like a, a professor once did at Cincinnati Christian University when they did a review of a local church and someone said, uh, I want you to describe your church in one word. Now, as she thought about her home church, she said, if there's one word to describe my church, it would be the word joy. You know, and I look at the other answers that I don't want to share, and I wonder, what word would you use to describe the Springfield Church of Christ? And what part do you have in it? Because you see, it's, it's your positive spirit and going against the urge to, to grumble that will go a long way in determining what that word will be to the honor and the glory of God. Well, the third thing is, don't just be patient, don't just be positive, but be persevering. James 5.10 says this, Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those that have persevered. You've heard about Job's perseverance from the Old Testament. You've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord's full of compassion and mercy. I mean, if you think about somebody that persevered, it was, it was Job. And the lesson is that suffering in every life is inevitable. But misery is optional. We're not guaranteed a life of peace and comfort or a life without challenge. In fact, we know as Christians, it's just the opposite. Jesus said in John 16, what? I've told you these things so that in me you can have peace, but in this world you will have, what? Trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. You will have trouble. But Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, these words, let's not become weary in doing good, 
for the proper time we can reap a harvest if we don't give up. That's the qualifier, friends. Don't quit. Isaiah said, those who wait on the Lord, they will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and they won't grow weary. They'll walk and they won't be faint. I listened to uh, Dave Stone preaches at Southeast in Louisville. And he talked about going to a University of Louisville football game one time. And, and he got to be on the sidelines. And early in the game, one of the players got hurt. And uh, David knew this guy was a believer in Christ. And he saw all the other players go out and try to, to comfort this guy. And, and as they pulled him off the field, he looked at this guy's arms. And he had a tattoo that covered his arm completely. And the tattoo was simply a, a scripture verse. It was 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And, and as he looked at that, he could read the words, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Dave Stone said to him, I, I'm so sorry that, that you got hurt. He said, uh, but that's a great verse to remember, isn't it? And this football player said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, it is. You know, maybe you haven't been sidelined by injury but maybe you've been sidelined at work and you've been downsized. Maybe your mate has divorced you and said, you know what, I really don't need you in my life anymore. Maybe a friend has said, I don't think I want to hang out around you anymore. And maybe you've experienced some problem, some struggle and all those trials. Friends, we hold on to the promise that it's the Lord that renews our strength. And we remember the charge of Scripture in Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its very shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then here's the last thing uh, under that point. Be real. Be real. James 5 says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you tell others how you are, when somebody says, how are you doing? Friends, anytime a Christian opens their mouth, what comes out should always be the truth. And then the very last thing we need to do to not quit is we've got to pray for strength. Pray for for strength. James 5.13 says, Is anyone in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Friends, it is a command that if you're going to be strong, if you're going to find strength, you have to pray for it. If you have emotional baggage within your life, you've got to turn to God in prayer. And then he says, if you're happy, I love that, sing songs of joy. It's talking about an inner presence to know my heart is right with God. I'm in a right conversation with God that nourishes, that fills, that challenges me. And notice he doesn't say, make sure you go to church and sing all the time. It says, let the person individually sing songs of praise. Now I say that, but please understand, we may think of our lives and our struggles and our faith as an individual effort. But let me remind you, this whole message today about not quitting, I want you to know it's a team sport. And when we pray for strength, we don't only pray for ourselves. We pray for others to have the strength 
to rise to the challenges in their life with the power of God. We ask God to work in us and through us to help others cross the finish line. And honestly, as you look at our prayer list, as you look at the people sitting next to you this morning, do we need help? You bet we do. Runners leave the course all the time. People step off the track all the time. Sometimes they do it relationally. They leave the fellowship of the church and and sometimes they wind up in some awful, poor choices. They do it doctrinally because they hear something on the radio or, or they hear something in class or on TV and they make bad doctrinal choices that aren't biblical. Sometimes they do it behaviorally. They leave the race and their actions reflect the world more than they reflect the Savior in whose name they serve. But regardless of the how, friends, it is the job of every believer in this room to bring them back. It's the job of every soul in this morning, here this morning, to just slide under the arm of someone who is struggling, someone who is wandering, and bring them back to the truth. And you know, it could be any one of us. It could be someone who used to love walking in fellowship with God. But now... They're not walking with him anymore. And you and I as the body of Christ, we've got the responsibility to bring that person back to God. And sometimes it means saying some unpopular things. And nobody likes, I get it, nobody likes confrontation. I love the story about the little boy whose mother was tucking him into bed at night and she was about to turn out the lights. He said, Mom, she said, what, honey? She goes, Mom, tomorrow there's going to be a small PTO meeting at school at 3 o'clock. And his mom said, well, if it's going to be a small meeting, do I really need to be there? And he said, I think so. It's just you and me and my teacher. (laughs) We like to dance around the issue. We have a hard time coming out of the open with the sensitive stuff. But friends, I want you to hear this. In the little bitty book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation, it says that we are to snatch others from the fire. And save them. When done lovingly, when done correctly with that goal in mind, it can cover a multitude of sins. And then in your rescue effort, make sure that the person you're you're helping doesn't pull you down too. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, well then you who are spiritual, you should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. There will be times in your life when you are tempted to just kind of fade off, to stray. You'll notice your faith is wandering from the truth and and you'll find that you're moving away from God rather than to Him. And it just kind of happens. Sometimes you miss church once and maybe the next week something happens in your family and then you miss two weeks and and then you get sick and suddenly missing one day is now a month. And and over time you start hanging out with some other friends whose ideas don't match up with what Scripture says and suddenly you're not thinking as God would have you think. The odd thing about it is everyone around you will see it, but, but you won't. And in pride and rebellion, you'll just fade. Sometimes I, I meet people who will give me the excuses. You know, well, things out here are, are going fine. I, I don't need to be in church every Lord's Day. I don't need to be with other Christians. I'm sinning, but I'm having too much fun to change, literally. I can do it later on. Let me tell you, I've done more funerals than I care to. 
of people in their 10s and 20s and 30s and 40s who always said, you know, someday I can change. I got plenty of time. Another excuse is uh, I may be doing something that I know is wrong, but I've just got way too much shame and guilt. You know, God can never love me again. God can never accept me. He's far too angry with me. There's no way, God. I've done far too much in my life. He'll never accept me back. Let me tell you something, friends. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And if you're a believer and you've committed your life to Christ, the Bible teaches that the Spirit of God dwells within you. And when you meet other believers and you're walking with God, friends, there is a sense of unity and oneness that blesses. And, and I'll tell you, it's more than you ever know. And I'll give you an example from my own experience. Right now, my mom is caught up with her dementia over at Forest Glen. She remembers very few people, but she remembers their actions. There's a young man that just so happens to be here today, Dan Bidlack. Every Sunday after church, my mom would sit in two chairs out here. One of the two, not two, she wasn't that big. She sat in one of the two chairs out here. And it wasn't hardly any Sunday that Dan was here that I didn't walk at some point and see him talking with her. And my mom remembers that boy. She doesn't know your name. But that blessing continues to bless her because they share a unity of spirit. They share the same Father. They share the same God that encourages them and they share. You will never sit with, approach, or pass anybody in this church or outside these walls that doesn't need to know the grace, the gift of Jesus Christ. And so if I could challenge you to do one thing as we take away from this today, I would ask that you would pray, Lord, it's my prayer that somehow I can help blank cross the finish line. Write that name in your bulletin. Write it on, on the flyleaf of your Bible. Lord, it's my prayer that you would help me get Janice across the finish line, to get Julie across the finish line. And you pray for that individual. Our mission is to connect people to Jesus Christ and to one another. Again, it's called the church, being the church. And if you have wandered from the truth this morning, and, and, and you know, you know that you're not as close perhaps as you used to be, sometimes sin is like an octopus. You know, it gets one tentacle around you, and after another day or two, it gets another tentacle around you. And I just want to say, the time to come back to Jesus is now, before it wraps all the tentacles around and, and pulls you down. Friends, we all have a gift that is called today. Today is the day of salvation, and I'm going to ask that every one of you stand with me this morning. I want to pray for you, and then, friends, if God is leading you to join this church family, if God is, is showing you through his spirit that it's time to drop the guard, to, to drop all the questions that you feel I've got to have answered before I can make the decision to, to, to give my life to Jesus. Friends, his love for you is greater than your intellect or ability to answer questions will ever be. God is bigger than any question we could come up with, and we come up with some doozies. But friends, it's simply a day where we yield and submit to him and say, God, I don't know everything. I never will. But I know that I'm a sinner. 
I know that you love me. I know that you sent your son to die to pay the price for my sin. And I know that I have to come and confess that need to you. I know I need to proclaim the name of Jesus over my life. I need to repent. I need to change the direction that I'm heading in this life. I know that I need to go into the waters of baptism, that my sins can be washed away, that I can be buried as in death with Jesus Christ, rise to walk in a newness of life, a resurrection. That's what I need in my life. Friends, if that's your need, I want you to come as we sing, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we finish our time here and our service prepares to begin, Lord, we have had the joy of communion. We've had the joy of your word spoken at the table and, and from this pulpit. We've given you the sacrifice of, of offering and of song and of prayer. But perhaps for someone in this room, the, the most sincere sacrifice has yet to take place. In fact, they're ready to quit. They're ready to give up. But Father, you have given them hope. In fact, you're the only one that ever truly gives hope and life. And Father, if they're prepared this morning, I just ask you to work through your spirit to make an eternal decision to follow you as Savior and Lord. Father, let this be a place where we proclaim we're together. Let the unity we share as we pray and as we worship together be one that holds each other up and we all need that. And Father, let the world see and say, those people at that church are Christians. I know it because they love one another. And I pray that the one word we can come to as we define this fellowship is loving. In Jesus' name.